0: Well today, today we're going to see the fulfillment of what we began last week. Uh, In Advent this year we're looking at two different specific prophecies and then how they were fulfilled. So last week we saw in Luke's Gospel how it was foretold that John the Baptist was going to be born and how he was going to be born and to whom Zacharias and Elizabeth. And today... We're going to see the fulfillment of that prophecy. So Luke chapter 1 beginning in verse 57 is the, the telling of the story of how everything that was prophesied last week comes to pass. And so I called the the message this week, I told you so. So as we think about that, has anyone ever predicted something to you, like told you, hey, this is going to happen. And it was, it was a, a subject where you had some doubts and you weren't positive that you believed what they were telling you was going to happen. But then you waited and then what they said was going to happen actually happened exactly like they said. Has anybody ever had that experience? I was thinking about a a personal experience, if I could share a personal story. I couldn't really come up with a a good or remember a good one that would fit that bill, but I remembered one in the Bible, and it was pretty profound because of the time that had elapsed between when they were told something was going to happen and the time it happened. I'm talking about Noah in Genesis chapter 6. If you think about the story of Noah, I mean, God came to him and said, hey, it's going to rain, and he's like, what's that? Because at that point, it hadn't really rained on earth. God had watered, you know, from the, the water came up from the earth to water the vegetation. And, and he said, I need you to build me a zoo. Did you know that? That's, that's what God told Noah. I need you to build me a zoo. And by the way, it's got to float because the world's going to be flooded. So you need to build this ark. And, you, and then I'm going to send all the animals to you. Well, you know the story. But here's the funny thing. The time that elapsed. Does anybody remember how how long it was um between the time Noah was told to build the ark and the time it started raining? 120 years. Now just think about that for a minute. Personally, you know, if 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 I say something and I, I catch a little flack for it, like if I if I maybe I say something to somebody and I get some some pushback, you know, I don't like that, and I don't, I don't like if, if somebody says something mean to me. I don't, I don't enjoy that, and I'm ready for it to be over with, okay? But Noah said something because he had a message to his fellow countrymen and said, hey, God says repent. He's looking around and seeing all the evil on the earth, and he's going to send a flood. I'm building this boat. Well, you know, for 120 years, people were just steady making fun of Noah, over and over and over, day after day. He had to endure that for over a 100 years until God came through exactly like he said was going to happen. Everything happened exactly like Noah was told. And what was the reaction? All those people, for more than a generation, were making fun of Noah and telling him how stupid he was and why are you building a boat? When, what's this rain you're talking about? This, this flood, it's not going to happen. And you can imagine as time went by, the more time passed when it didn't happen, the more people would set in on Noah because they felt more confident in their position that it's not going to happen, right? Because the more time that goes by, you you can picture somebody saying to Noah, "Hey Noah, is it going to start raining today?" It's been sixty years. You've been building on this boat. When's the rain coming? Then how about ten, twenty, thirty more years? How about right at a hundred years? Been a hundred years, Noah. thought you said it was going to rain. You still out here building this boat? Now, how did their attitude change when the first drop hit them on the head? Ooh, what what is that? Hey, Noah, you got any room on that boat? Oh, no, sorry. No vacancy. We're all full. All full. It's just Noah, Miss Noah, three sons, three wives, and a bunch of animals. But it happened just like God said. That's the key point. Just like God said. So when we get to this story, everything that God said to Zacharias and Elizabeth, everything. It's going to happen exactly like God said, in the time that God said, in the way God said, everything's going to happen just like God said. So it's important for us as we read scripture, not just this scripture, but as we read scripture in general, we need to remember God's word is true, but it's not just true, it's truth. You know what the difference is? If I say God's word is true, that means I'm saying that it's accurate, it's true. But if I'm saying God's word is truth, that takes it up another level because now God's word is seen as the standard of truth by which we judge everything else. So you want to know if something's true? Is it consistent with God's word? So that's what God's word is. So let's look together. Luke chapter 1, verses 57 down to verse 80. And this is the story. ...of John the Baptist being born in fulfillment of what God said. Luke one fifty seven. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Now her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, he shall be called John. And they said to her, There's no one among your relatives who's called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet, and he wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them kept them in mind saying what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied, saying, "'Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people "'and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant, "'as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, "'salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, "'to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant.'" The oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. To shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit. And he lived in the deserts until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray. Father, I pray today... Please take your word, Lord, and and speak to us. Open our hearts and our minds. Make us attentive to your message today, Lord. I pray that you wouldn't let me mess this up. Don't let me say something that's not consistent with your word and what you want to be said today. We need to hear from you. We need to hear directly from you and not... Uh, any man's opinion so God I pray you will free me from that today I pray your word will be spoken for your glory for the good of your people to magnify the name of Jesus Christ so speak to us today Lord we pray in Jesus name amen a son is born This is a fulfillment to Zacharias and Elizabeth, and if you remember last week, there were so many different things that happened that set this up. Zacharias was chosen to be the one to go in and burn the incense offering in the temple, and as I mentioned last week, this would have been the only time in his lifetime that he would have been given that opportunity, because it's like 18,000 priests, and he was the one chosen. So this was a a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And he goes in there, and the angel comes to him and gives him the news. But you remember what happened during that encounter. Zacharias doubted, so he couldn't talk. He was struck to where his mouth was shut. And if you remember, because of his doubt, when he came out, He couldn't say anything, telling anybody what had happened. And people realized he had a vision because he took a long time in there. So now when we get to this part of the story, here it comes. It says the time had come. Literally, you know what that says? It says that the time was fulfilled because it's God's time. So it's always right. It reminds me of... When Jesus was born, and we're going to talk about that over these next two Sundays. But you know, over in Galatians chapter 4, Paul wrote about the perfect timing of the birth of Christ. And in Galatians 4, he says, uh, at the fullness of time, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son born of a woman. So God's got a timetable, and it doesn't usually match ours because, you know, I'm not patient. And I have a hard time waiting on things. And I think that has gotten more, uh, more obvious, I think, as I've gotten older. Because, you know, we live in this culture where the drive, I think, especially even for technology, is to make things easier and make things more efficient. And so, you know, when you have a, when the microwave oven was invented, everybody thought, oh my goodness, you mean we can just, cut down the time it takes us to get our food warm, and then you have restaurants, and now all of a sudden you've got to drive through windows, so you don't have to get out your vehicle. You can just drive up, talk into a speaker, not understand a word that's being said back to you, and then drive around and hope that the money's right, hope that the food's right, but then you're going to drive off with a bag of food, and you haven't even got out your car because we've got to have it right away, right away. You know, another way I see this, uh, the Internet, the Internet, uh, The advent of technology that allows us to go onto a computer and just Google anything. I mean, that's that's funny. You you don't know the answer to a question? Well, just Google it. Just punch it in your computer, and next thing you know, you'll come up with an answer. Well, you know, everything on the Internet is accurate, so you can believe that stuff. Really? Why are you all laughing? Abraham Lincoln said it himself. Everything on the Internet is accurate. See if y'all are paying attention. So, the point of this is, we are, I think by nature, our, our level of impatience is increasing. We want everything right now. We needed it yesterday. But when God says the time was fulfilled, you don't get everything instantly. God is never early, but he's never late. He's right on time. His time, and we, I, I, I'll speak for myself. I, oftentimes I, I confuse um, what I think should be God's time with my time because I'm not patient. I want it now. God, when are you going to work this issue out for me? When are you going to take care of this challenge? Or when are you going to address this problem that's going on? And I can't put words in God's mouth, but it's as if he says to me, will you just chill out? Will you just calm down? I created the universe. I think I got this under control. But yet I, I get nervous and anxious. And, and honestly, it, it, it reminds me that may, maybe my faith and trust needs to increase. I need to remember who God is. I need to just stop questioning his time. The time was fulfilled You remember back in verse 20 of Luke 1, God told Zacharias, you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. That's why the brother couldn't speak, because he didn't believe God, and he suffered the consequences. So people had heard what had happened. If you look there in verse 58, her neighbors, her relatives, heard the Lord had displayed or magnified, literally is what that means, magnified his great mercy toward her, they were rejoicing with her. And if you remember what, what Luke said back in verse 14. See, all these things are being fulfilled. In first, verse 14, Elizabeth was told, You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And what do we read here in verse 58? They were rejoicing with her. So all these things are coming to pass in God's timing. Now, here's the funny part when you get to verse 59. His name is John. Why is his name John? His daddy's name is Zachariah. But he couldn't talk. And I want to show you a little tidbit here. This is just a bonus trivia question here uh, that you'll, you'll be able to file away for some time in the future if somebody ever asks you this question. We know that the angel told Zachariah, you will not be able to speak until the child is born, right? So he, he was mute. He could not speak. Well, guess what? He was also deaf. You know how I know that? Look at the text. When Elizabeth said his name will be John, what did everybody do? They turned to Zachariah. And because Elizabeth, I mean, the, the time frame here, the time period, the context, she had a lot working against her because first of all, she had just given birth to the child, you know, eight days prior, and she was a woman, which in this culture, you know, the opinion of a woman was not as valid as a man in, in this culture. And so look what happened. She said, his name will be John. And they said to her, verse 61, there's nobody in your family named John. And then, what does verse 62 say? They immediately turned to the father. But they didn't say something to the father. What did they do? They made signs to, to the father. Now, if he could hear, why would they need to make signs to him? See, he's deaf and mute. He couldn't hear, so they had to make signs to him and ask him this question. Verse 62 says, And what did he reply when he asked for a tablet to write down? Verse 63, his name is John. So they didn't believe the mama, but as soon as the daddy said, No, his name is John. Case closed, right? Now they believe him. So his name is John. Why is it John? Because that's exactly what God said to name him. So this is another fulfillment of God's word. So he wrote that down. Everyone was astonished, it says, at the end of verse 63, because they could not understand. Remember, he couldn't give the report when he came out of the temple, and he couldn't tell them, hey, an angel came in here and told me some stuff, so when I name my boy something other than what you think he should be named, don't freak out. He couldn't tell anybody. He couldn't speak. I guess he didn't think to write it down. Maybe that was not part of the story, not part of the plan. But when you get to verse 64, look at God's mercy. What was the trigger for Zechariah to be able to speak again? He wrote down the name of his son. And it was consistent with what God said. So he obeyed God's plan, Name him John. And so Zechariah wrote down his name is John. And that was the trigger because that showed, okay... God, you obviously have come through on every part of your plan here. So, yeah, his name's John. And that was the trigger for verse 64 at once. Look at that. See, God's not God's not late. At once his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed. So what did Zechariah begin to do the moment he was given his speech back? Praise God. Right? That's that's a that's an appropriate response for everything that's going on here. So God received the glory for what he had done. And Zechariah was blessed because of his obedience. His name is John. And now look at verse uh, 66. It says, all who heard these things kept them in mind, saying, what will this child be? And back in verse 65, they were afraid, fear came upon all those living around them. all these matters were being talked about in the hill country of judea well back in verse 12 what did luke say let's look back zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel and fear gripped him well guess what when all this happened and came true exactly like god said fear came upon all those living around them. so this was a common reaction to the glory of God. And, and just as a side note, I mean, don't we, don't we want to see and experience the glory of God? I mean, isn't that something that we as, as believers, isn't that something we want? I, I think so. I think I would like to. I mean, I pray that. I pray that often. I pray that before we come in here. I pray, God, allow us to, to uh, experience your glory today. Be glorified in our presence. I pray that all the time. But here's the the thing. If God was supremely and ultimately glorified in our midst, if, if the glory of God actually came down among us, I don't know if we could handle it. Or I don't know if how we would react because every time you read this in the New Testament, what about when the, the the angels visited the shepherds when Jesus was born? You remember that? A host of a heavenly host appeared and was singing glory to God. And what does it say about the shepherds? They were terrified. I don't know what would happen if if God fully answered that prayer that He revealed His glory to us. I mean, we might fall out in the—I mean, in the in the walkways here because I think I think we'd be surprised. I think I really believe if God displayed His glory among us, it would be a feeling that we were not prepared for. Because God's glory, I really truly believe, is so far more than we imagine it to be of who he is. So when he when he's glorified here and there and and these things are happening in in accordance to his word and consistent with his prophecy fear came on all those living around. I think that's a necessary component of when we see God in his glory and his his action among us. When God works, doesn't that give you just a a little bit of pause to say Wow, did you, did you see what just happened? That God did that. I think we, maybe, we don't, maybe we don't give full credit to what God can do in, in, our, in our hearts and minds. We don't really, really grasp the greatness of, of who he is. Because everybody was talking about here what God had done. Everybody was wondering how God was going to use this child. Everybody acknowledged in in verse sixty six the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. I mean, to make that statement that there had to be some obvious things going on here to really clue in everybody. It says everyone saw that, that God was doing a major work here. So when you get to verse sixty seven, the father Zechariah, now he's speaking. But it says a very important phrase here. Look at verse 67. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. So everything he says from verse 68 to verse 79, this is, this is God-inspired talk here. This is, not, this is not the proud father at the hospital doling out some cigars and making a toast. This is, that's not what's going on here. This is divinely inspired praise to God. ...of what Zechariah is saying about this boy that God's given him. So look what he says. It's broken down into two parts, really. First, there's, there's praise to God for deliverance through this Messiah that's coming. And then there's a celebration for John's role in that preparation for the Messiah. And there's three Old Testament quotes here that, sh- that are used... And the first one is from Psalm 106, verse 10. So you look at, look at verse 71. It says, Salvation from our enemies from the hand of all who hate us. Well, back in Psalm 106, in verse 10, uh, the psalmist writes, So he saved them from the hand of the one who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. So verbatim, this is prophecy. Do you know when the psalms were written? The psalms as a whole were written roughly 1,000 years before Jesus was born. So just get that in your context frame of mind here. What was prophesied 1,000 years prior to Jesus coming? And remember, when John is born, it's just a couple months before Jesus is born. So 1,000 years prior to this, prophecy's coming true. See, God's never early, but he's never late. He's always right on time. Malachi 3, I think this is a pretty familiar one because we've talked about that before, about how Malachi 3, 1, the, uh, the minor prophet writes, "I'm Behold, I'm going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So John is the forerunner. So this is all happening to fulfill prophecy. Then in Isaiah 9... This is found in in our passage today in verse 79. You remember this because Isaiah 9 is one of the very popular messianic prophecies. By the way, Isaiah, written about 750 years before Jesus was born. This is way back, and now it's coming to pass, exactly how God said. Isaiah 9, 2 says, "...the people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. Those who live in a dark land, the light has shone upon them." I want to just tell you something about here. When you read this prophecy, because in in our passage today, Luke chapter 1, this this paragraph here that Zechariah speaks while filled with the Holy Spirit, I want you to note some things. In verses 68 through 70, I want you to notice the language. Look at verse 68. He says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us, that's past tense, and accomplished redemption for his people. And Jesus hadn't been born yet, right? Accomplished redemption, past tense. Look at verse 69. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us, past tense, in the house of David, his servant. Verse 70. He spoke. By the mouth of his holy prophets, past tense. Because, you know, these are Old Testament prophecies that are being fulfilled. But what I want you to see about those few verbs there, why is that important? He has visited. He has accomplished. He has raised up. He spoke. Here's why that's important. Jesus hadn't been born yet. And he hasn't lived his life yet, and he certainly had not gone to the cross yet. But guess what? In God's eyes, that's a settled reality. It's done. Because God said it's going to happen, and it's going to happen. It's going to happen just like God said. So when he says he has accomplished redemption, Jesus hadn't been born yet, hadn't, hadn't set foot on the earth. But Luke writes, by the Holy Spirit, Zechariah prophesized by the Holy Spirit redemption is accomplished it's done do you see why that's important it it hasn't happened yet but it's done because god doesn't mess up god doesn't break a promise when god says it's gonna happen it's gonna happen He, he can be trusted so he uses the past tense almost as a as a um a big flashing light to say hey pay attention to what i'm saying here I know it hadn't happened yet, but it may as well have because it's going to happen. You can trust it's going to happen. He has accomplished redemption. He's worked it out already. So what's the purpose for this deliverance? Because it says here that God's people are going to be delivered. He's he's visited us, accomplished redemption. He's raised up a horn of salvation, which denotes there's going to be deliverance from something. And he says here in verse 71, salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us. Verse 72 says, he's showing mercy toward our fathers to remember his covenant, the oath he swore to Abraham. Now look at verse 74. To grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him. See, there's always a purpose behind what God's doing. And it's not just so we can benefit and say, okay, great, we got rescued, that's awesome. Now we can go back along our own business and do whatever we want. No, 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 no. God's purpose was always, I'm delivering you so that you can serve without fear. See, God can be trusted because he's faithful and true. And so when we read here, what's our purpose is, of deliverance why is redemption so important for us it's so that we can serve him without fear and the bible says in verse 75 in holiness and righteousness before him all our days so that's the last verse of this first part of the prophecy the deliverance through the messiah the whole purpose of that is to serve god without fear In holiness and righteousness for all our days. So we have a a mandate. Hey, God just didn't save you just so you could be saved. He saved you so you could do something. He saved you to serve him without fear. In holiness and righteousness all your days. So the, the salvation event in your life is not the end. It's the beginning. It's the beginning of your new purpose. Your new reason for existence. You're supposed to serve God. And you don't have to have fear because you're going to be in holiness and righteousness all your days because that's what God called you to. That's why he delivered you. Does that make sense? He, he, he gave you a purpose. He redeemed you to serve him. The last part of the prophecy is about John. You see verse 76, and you child. So Zechariah now is a, he, he's addressing his, his eight-day-old son. And he says, you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you'll go on before the Lord to prepare his ways. This is the prophecy back from Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, how John's going to go before him and prepare the way. So Zechariah didn't know all that, but the Holy Spirit is speaking through him and saying, hey, this is what your boy's going to do. He's going to prepare the way for the Messiah. He's got a a serious job ahead of him. In fact, he's going to spend his entire life Uh, Growing up life in the desert As you see in verse 80 Stayed in the desert until his public appearance to Israel He's going to spend his entire life 30 years roughly In the desert in isolation With a very special upbringing For a six month Ministry He's going to spend Years and years preparing Being prepared by God For a ministry that's going to last six months Because if you read the the rest of the New Testament, the rest of the gospel accounts, and you see when John appears, and he says, Repent, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. And and then Jesus comes on the scene, and then, you know, it's not long after that. Herod kills John the Baptist. He dies after his purpose is accomplished. So his, his ministry from start to finish is roughly six months. He spent 30 years in the wilderness, Being prepared by God for six months. Very specific purpose. And God saved us for a very specific purpose. To serve him without fear. So John is going to go ahead. He's going to be called the prophet of the Most High. Prepare the way of the Lord. That's Malachi. And he's going to give God's people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins. You see that in verse 77. Verse 78. The tender mercy of our God. The sunrise from on high will visit us. And then that's the sunrise, capital S. The the coming of Jesus, verse 79, is the fulfillment of Isaiah 9, verse 2. The light has shone on those who were in darkness. This is the coming of the Messiah. And John's going to usher that in. That's a pretty special job. You get to be the one to point everybody to Jesus. So let me just ask you this question. Do you see your job just like John? What's a Christian supposed to be doing? Honestly. John's whole calling in life was to point people to Jesus. Are we really supposed to be any different than that? If we follow Jesus and we're redeemed in order to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness all our days, isn't that our top priority? Isn't that what a disciple does? Do you know what the word Christian means? Little Christ. In other words, every Christian is supposed to be a reflection of the one to whom we point. So we point to Jesus, and we're supposed to reflect Jesus. So our whole job is really exactly like John the Baptist. Our whole reason for existence as believers is to point people to Jesus. Till we die. That's what John was called to do. And he was prepared for all that time, for for that six-month period of time where he pointed people to Jesus. And so when he says, when Zacharias is prophesying here, and he says, you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. That's the gospel. Don't we share the gospel? As believers, isn't that our job? To give people knowledge of salvation by forgiveness of sins? Well, where are they going to get forgiveness of sins? Jesus. Our job is to point people to Jesus. I, I, I did not, for the longest time, I, I, I can just confess this because it's true, for the longest time, I didn't tell anybody about Jesus. I told some people about Jesus for a little bit, and then I stopped. You know why? Why? Because for some reason I had got it in my head that my success in evangelism was tied to whether or not that person accepted Christ. So if I share the gospel with you and you don't accept Christ, I have failed. Well, guess what? That's not exactly true. Because as a, a, a follower of Jesus, my job, my success in evangelism is not did that person accept Jesus Christ through the gospel, my success as a Christian is, did I share the gospel? Did I open my mouth and tell somebody about Jesus? That's success. So I had it all wrong. I was carrying a burden that was not mine to carry. I was carrying the burden of the Holy Spirit of God to convert someone's soul, and that's not my job. None of us has that job. My job, your job, is to open our mouths and share the gospel. Give people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. So I had it it so wrong for for all these years, I I didn't want to share because I was fearing rejection. And all all that time, if I had just realized... Success is not someone receiving the truth of the gospel. Success for me as a follower of Christ is being obedient to open my mouth and share. That's what I'm called to do. I'm not called to convert anybody. If I could, I would. I would have by now. i got a list of people in my family, distant relatives, that are not Christians. If I could convert them, I would convert them, right? You know, last week. But that's not my job. My job is to faithfully share the truth of the gospel in love. And then the Holy Spirit does, does the job of conversion. That's not my job. So all this fear that I carried around, all this um, reluctance to share because I didn't want somebody to say no how many opportunities did I miss just because I was carrying a burden that wasn't mine? John's ministry give people knowledge of salvation, give God's people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. So that's our job. We can read this story We can read about John the Baptist, and we can know that as we read that story, that's our job. We exist as followers of Jesus to point people to Jesus, giving God's people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins. And what better time to do that than when we celebrate the coming of the one who can do all that? This is this is just a reminder. We 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 look at Advent, we look at these passages more often at Christmas time, but the point of it all is it's not a Christmas thing for the Christian. It's an everyday thing. It's an all the time thing. Is is there a time when you shouldn't tell somebody about Jesus? I don't think so. I don't think so so here here's our our call. our call as God's people is to be well versed well schooled in the truth of the gospel. Every follower of jesus uh, I've had people say, Well, I don't have the gift of evangelism, really? Well, do you have the gift of obedience because God may not have called you to be Billy Graham and go to a stadium and tell people about Jesus. That's the gift of evangelism. But every single Christian has the commission to make disciples of all nations. That's not reserved for a few select people that have a special gift. That's reserved for everybody who has Jesus as their Savior. And so I'm fresh out of excuses so we our job and maybe maybe christmas time new year i mean maybe that's a a good time for us to get more serious about this we're looking forward to a vision for the next 2 years just as a short term you know leading to years and years and years beyond that but we're we're on the the cusp of trying to be intentional about everything we do as a church as individuals and collectively what does this church need to be doing to get the gospel to our communities and beyond. And how can we do that on purpose? Well, it starts right here. We need to be well-versed in the truth of the gospel. What is that? Well, in 30 seconds, all human beings are sinful and we have a curse and a disease that we cannot cure on our own. And knowing that, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth in human form. And he lived a life completely free from sin, which is something we can't do. And then he went willingly to a cross that he didn't deserve, but we did deserve. We do deserve. And he willingly gave his life, laid down his life, and allowed himself to be tortured and killed, sacrificed for us. It's a substitutionary death. He stood in our place, took our sins on a cross, and died and paid the penalty in full. And then on the third day, he rose again from the grave because death could not hold him because he's victorious over death and over sin. And so he rose from the grave. By the way, the stone was rolled away, not so he could get out, but so we could get in and see. And he ascended back into heaven, which is his rightful place, at the right hand of God the Father, where every moment since then he continually and unceasingly prays for us. The Bible says he makes intercession for us. He is the one mediator, the go between between us and God. He's the only way to get there. In John fourteen six, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Unless I forget, in John chapter 6, Jesus says, No one comes to the Father unless the Father draws him. You know what that means? It means it's not my job to make you believe something. It's not my job to change your heart. I can't. If I could, I would. I can't. It means it's God's job. He's given us the job of opening our mouths. And telling everybody we can the truth of that story. That's why it's good news. But a great theologian said a couple hundred years ago, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. So let us not forget there's urgency to our call. We can't afford to lollygag. We need to do what we're called to do on purpose and quickly. Share the gospel. Let's pray.